Hi, I'm Gio. And I'm Renee. And this is Listen to Me Podcast, where you get all the greatest in unqualified advice from qualified creatives. Basically, we go through it so you can choose your own adventure and then write it into a bomb-ass video game. Yes! Gio, you don't play video games at all, do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even ask you before we started recording, but I already knew the answer. I've played video games, and if somebody says like, hey, let's play a video game i'm 70 percent into it sometimes but i just like <laughs> i don't have video game that you played mario kart with my sister so fun yeah and i but you know what i was 12th every time <laughs> i literally was awful 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 like i i played with who's the character is it worry who's the tall <laughs> the tall evil version of mario uh oh man people are gonna Oreo? be so mad because i don't know it he's like oh waluigi, waluigi. yes yes yes, 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 yes i'm embarrassed yes. please cut out the time it took me to think of that name <laughs> i'm keeping it in <laughs> you have to have a deft hand to uh win at mario kart also i think we we're gonna get together with friends um maybe if our cohorting allows the cases are wild here and play Mario Kart and it was so funny because I was texting my friend and she was like yeah um like we're so excited to lick your asses at Mario Kart and I was like whoa <laughs> I was like ask for consent first like Jesus I've never heard that lick was, your ass it was a typo she meant kick your ass oh <laughs> <laughs> it was just a very funny typo <laughs> So I'm really excited to have Davis see here today. He was the, uh, he was one of Edmonton Public Library's 2020 featured writers this year. And he is also part of my writing group and book club, which is how I know him. Yay. He's super great. Yeah. And he has written and produced video games like through, I think using a software called Twine, but I will ask him more questions about it because I'm really curious for him mm -hmm. to talk a little bit about it. And I'm really fascinated by that because I've never written a video game before, but I've played. This might surprise you to hear, Gio, because as much as I like Mario Kart, I love narrative-driven video games. <laughs> okay? So I, <laughs> I like when I was a kid, I played Myst for fun. I don't know what's Mist. Mist is like a a puzzle game. So it was like okay. really low end graphics on a computer. I feel like people are gonna feel that that's controversial commentary, but in my opinion, Why? it was low resolution graphics, and you just kind of like walked around an abandoned island in this not like a fort but like a there were like a whole bunch of stations on the island and you had to like manipulate like levers and different things in the different stations to line them up correctly to unlock the next level and it was like really difficult to win and basically you would only play it if you were a complete masochist which of course i was so i did i do you remember mm -hmm. like the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy text yep. base adventure yeah. game i mm -hmm. love that that was so much fun i was really into frogger <laughs> <laughs> i like the sims but only the design aspects no like, i love it i love like narratively driven games i played this one game called oxen free which is about it's this really creepy game that clay bought me um that takes place on an island where these kids another island another island what's with the islands 
I don't, cause like weird stuff happens on it. So it's like an abandoned Island and you walk around and it's like very dialogue driven, but you basically figure out that you're caught in like a time loop or something. And you have to try to find your way out. Like, it's so much fun thinking about the mechanics of writing something that's basically like a digital version of a choose your own adventure novel, which I also enjoyed when I was a kid and sometimes read linearly like a sociopath. I like that about video games. Like my friends, Scott and Joel, they're gamers. Like they're like yeah. gamers, <laughs> like hardcore. <laughs> With a Y. <laughs> G- yeah, literally. And yeah. I would, anytime I would visit them or back when I lived in Toronto, we, we, we would be hanging out. They would play video games and I would watch. Like I would watch it like I was watching a mm-hmm. show or a movie. The one thing that I've always been intrigued by that I think I would love to be within the realm of video games would be character design. Yeah. Because it just makes you think, like, remember back in the day when I would, I don't know if you saw a lot of these drawings, but I would always draw intricately dressed women (laughs) and like caricatures and like monsters and like. Yeah, I remember that. And so I just think that would translate so well. I don't know. I couldn't do it like actually because I don't know the software, but to sketch a character like that to me would be so fun and see if it, what's the word like animated see yeah it, like, animated and somebody could like control it or you could control it you create the narrative in the story i'll create the characters <laughs> and we pitch it to some developer yes. actually i am literally today i was putting together a brand for a company that developed games oh cool yeah okay well i'm so glad we're doing this interview with davis because he can teach us how to build a game yeah and then make us some money maybe (laughs) (laughs) but yeah we have a lot to talk about with davis including video games and other things about writing so i'm really excited let's get into it it's a me waluigi (laughs) hi hello Good. How are you? Good. Uh, this is Gio. Hello, Hi, Gio. Gio. <laughs> nice to e-meet you. <laughs> we will assault you with questions and you will answer them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell everybody who listens, so like our five listeners, uh, <laughs> your name and kind of what you write and what you do, Davis. Uh, My name is Davis GC. I write fiction, both short and long form poetry and interactive fiction is sort of where my niche is, the thing that makes me different from other writers, perhaps. Uh, So I write my own uh, video games, mostly text-based, as well as freelance for other people's games. Yes, I am so excited to talk to you about the games that you write, because I think that's so interesting. I think you're the only person I've ever met who writes interactive fiction like that which is so cool uh well our mutual friend kyle has also uh dabbled in it so that's Ah. we have a shared ground there oh i see so what drew you to writing as a young kid like what were the stories that you wanted to tell and maybe you could talk a little bit about how you you broke into interactive fiction too I think I always just had like a really active imagination as a kid. All of my play was really imaginative and based in stories. I think this is the case for a lot of kids, but you know, me and my friend would pretend mm-hmm. to be dragons or she would be Sailor Moon and I'd be Tuxedo Mask and we'd <laughs> act out these little stories, uh, you know, until we got bored or it was lunchtime or whatever. As I got older, I got more into video games and my stories definitely started to lean in that direction as I started writing as a kid. 
one of the early stories I remember was about a team of seven or eight people with different weapon types working together to feed a monster. It was very much just like a ripoff of all the JRPGs that I'd played at that point. <laughs> I was definitely trying to bring this that I was like seeing and engaging with uh, into the way that I thought I could put them onto paper. As for interactive fiction, I never realized for a long time that you could write video games. Like, I guess I knew that video games had stories and that's what I enjoyed about them, but I never visualized that as something that I could be until I started getting into like indie games and small games that people were making yeah. online. I was like, oh, one person did this. Maybe I can do that. I started <laughs> yeah. uh, playing around with it myself. What games were you playing that kind of led you down that path? In terms of like the small indie games I was playing mm -hmm. and stuff at that point, at that time, it would have mostly been like Flash games and things, which that age is a little bit basically ending now because Flash is no longer supported, I don't think. No, not at all. <laughs> um, I don't know if any of these names will ring a bell for anybody, but The Company of Myself was a game that I really enjoyed, which is a puzzle game with an interesting narrative behind it because you play as two versions of yourself helping each other, and there's a thing with the future and the past. Um, and there are some other games along that vein. I know Armor Games was a big name that I think are still doing stuff now, but they had a ton of Flash games sort of under their flagship, and I enjoyed a lot of their stuff. Yeah, you just like knocked loose a little memory for me because I definitely, I was actually just talking at the top because Gio and I record the intro before we bring the guest on. And I was like, yeah, puzzle games. And Gio's like, what are those? And I was like talking about Mist and stuff, but have you ever played Oxenfree? No, it, uh, that's definitely one that's on my list. It's good. I can recommend it. Clay bought it for me, obviously, because I'm like, man, whatever. Unless it's <laughs> downloaded on my computer, I'm not going to seek it out. But when he gifted it to me through Steam, I ended up playing it. And I was like, this is so good. Video games can be like this. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, crazy the kinds of things that people are doing with games now. Purely in terms of like, from what I've seen of Oxenfree, you know, sort of a smaller, more personal kind of story. Like maybe you're not super into like a bunch of heroes with big swords going off to save the world from an evil god, but maybe you're into some kids telling ghost stories around a campfire and there are games like that now. Yeah, and the deterministic aspect of it, right? Because you can play through the game multiple times and it'll change the ending every time, which is so cool. What is the type of game called when you're playing and it's it constantly not I don't know if propagates is the word, but it's like there's never it never ends. Like you can do it's limitless as far as like sandbox. what you're yeah. So generally that would be a sandbox game, but it, uh, you could get more nitty gritty with your genre names and stuff because games are so huge now. Yeah, because a friend of mine plays. I, oh, I this is I'm really like I'm not a gamer at all, but <laughs> it's what is that? It's it's a game in outer space where you're basically creating worlds from scratch and you're like exploring different planets and you and galaxies and it's like a first player game i just don't know what it's called but every time he plays it's beautiful i just love the graphics probably thinking no man's sky which was made uh, with like ai all the planets are generated by ai and there are like millions of them so theoretically you could land on a planet that no one else has ever seen before yeah. or will ever see again. Yeah. Yeah. And he was explaining it to me and I was like, this is so cool. Like just to watch him play. I was like, I was telling Renee once again at the top of the episode, I was like, I would never play because I'm just, I just, I'd, I'd rather watch to watch it. I'm like, this is like the most beautifully HD, like dis display of a movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Some games start to look more real than real life now. And it's pretty I mean, ridiculous. That's where we're headed. <laughs> 
Definitely. So Davis, talk to us a little bit about freelancing because the podcast is also about like giving people advice and kind of helping them down the road of like, if this is what you want to do, this is kind of the way that I did it. So when did you first start freelancing and how did you kind of take your writing to that point? I mentioned our mutual friend, Kyle, he's got into freelancing before me. And I sort of tried to dabble in it at the same time. So I was like, oh, if he can do it, maybe I can do it. <laughs> he got into it uh, on a website that is for freelancers. Basically, people will post their jobs and freelancers will apply for them. I could not get over that hurdle of like applying for all these jobs over and over again. Applying for a job is my least favorite part of the whole job experience and possibly human life. Literally the worst. Uh, literally the worst. <laughs> I would prefer to work a shitty job as long as I don't have to actually go through the application process. So I, I noped out of that. But he actually was pretty successful, did that for a while, decided he wanted more stability and got an office job. And then one of his clients, after a while, emailed him back like, hey, I really like the work that you did for me before when you were freelancing. Can you do some more stuff? He was like, sorry, I'm not in the business anymore. Let me direct you to my friend Davis. Uh, so yeah, that's really how that worked out. And I've been working on and off for that one client for quite a while. Shout out to them for being really kind to me as like a new freelancer, because mm -hmm. Kyle had told me that he was doing the work for $25 an hour. And so I told this client, like, I know that Kyle is doing this work for you, $25 an hour. I'm less experienced than him. So I'll pay you a little bit less. Don't remember exactly what my pitch was. They were like, no, 25 is fine. And then we moved on. That's so nice. So your advice is like, get a Kyle, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, community is really important. Anybody in freelancing will tell you that it's word of mouth is how you get your clients and things. So once you have one client, then they'll tell other people how cool you were if you were cool. So be sure to be <laughs> cool. And it just sort of goes from there, hopefully. So what kind of work are you doing in freelance right now? I am writing uh, video game narratives freelance. For my main client that I'm working with here, he came at me with his puzzle game that he has basically fully designed and he has these little characters. And he, at first he was like, just write some like dialogue quips for these characters, uh, which I did pretty quickly. And then he came back like, I really liked what you've done with it. So we're going to expand the narrative. And now I'm tasked with writing an entire story for a game and characters that have already been designed and they just have to sort of fit it into the pieces that already exist. Um, but it's been really fun. Challenging, but fun. Yeah, that sounds honestly like the dream. Yeah, well, it's one of those things where even like going back to what you said earlier about word of mouth and how that kind of spreads. If you can go your whole career without ever having to market yourself, to me, that is the best. I always find, you know, when you're starting, like how, how long have you been writing professionally? Mm, I guess it depends on how we define professionally. I got my first paid publication for a short story while I was still in university, maybe 22-ish. And then I didn't actually start doing real paid writing where I'm getting paid more than like a very small sum for one short story. I started doing that about a year or maybe two years ago now. What was that first gig? Like just out of curiosity, like what was it when you were in school? Short story was just a flash piece um, about two lesbians in a ice sculpture garden. And that was for Vitality Magazine, which was a queer-focused magazine about like queer positive stories. So nothing too heavy. Wanted to be like positive representation. Mm -hmm. um, that magazine is sadly defunct now, but it was, I'm very happy that they were my first publication. 
That's awesome. That's amazing. And for people who don't know who listen, because we have like a lot of creatives, flash pieces are short. They're just short, really short stories, like a shorter than a short story. How many words was it? Yeah, it was like 500 words. <laughs> when you were saying like a short, like a short, short story, I'm thinking like two sentences. <laughs> that's, that's micro fiction, which is even smaller than flash fiction. Um, that's actually a thing. Yeah, that's my mm-hmm. first. Oh, I, I don't think I told. Oh, I did tell everybody on the in book club. Um, my first is only 200 words and that's considered micro, which is also like, I find that long. Yeah, I would... Personally, I would call that flash. Yeah. But yeah, the lines are blurry. Absolutely. For sure. So we're, I'm going to skip around a little bit here because you brought it up a couple of times. And I definitely, as somebody who writes and is also queer and also like came to queerness later because of a horribly like repressed upbringing that we don't have to talk about at all. I definitely in the last few years have been exploring queerness through the fiction lens more. And also like when I write essays and personal stuff, that I might do something with one day. But for you, when did you notice like how your queerness kind of came into your writing? And like, was that ever intentional? Was it a choice you made? Like, tell us about that. Um, Well, I was very, very sad for a while. Like I was having these crushes on boys, uh, one boy in particular for a very long time that I was like, I can't tell anybody about this. I can't tell him it's hopeless. And like, (laughs) there's a romanticism in that. I think and I have a binder full of poetry about this boy (gasps) oh my god yeah that I I still have that's Um, incredible and it's awful no I refuse to believe it (laughs) (laughs) it it is it's the worst but you know that was how I was coping with my feelings with that and then my fiction writing as well started to dabble in queerness not as much as my poetry because nobody was looking at my poetry ever fiction it's a little bit more of an endeavor and sometimes people are going to be asking you what you're writing about or a lot of my writing was for class and so that was always scary if I tried to put queerness in there a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did start to go in there a little. And some of it was definitely like self-insert fantasies where I got to have like a hot boyfriend or whatever. That wasn't necessarily like the explicit purpose. But one story was definitely a fantasy story where my soul was magically tied to this hot guy and we fought evil together. Yeah. I love that so much. You just like made my whole night. I love it. (laughs) I would read that. I would read that. (laughs) I want to hear this so that I can visualize what the story was. Because to me, you talking about writing certain fantasies where I would, as a visual artist, I would draw basically like pornography (laughs) I was like (laughs) you know what I mean and so like that was my version so I'm like if you have a story that I could make visual reality that would be very fun (laughs) oh none of it was that explicit um although I dabbled very very briefly in fan fiction and some of that was was but I backed out of that pretty quickly I don't know it wasn't quite for me so it was more um like artistic let's say (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought I was very elevated. Yeah. Davis, oh, so what kind of fan fiction were you writing? I'm sorry, I have to. Yeah. Know. <laughs> um, I definitely wrote some explicit uh, Kingdom Hearts fan fiction. Oh my god, amazing! And all the comments were like, "Oh, you're use the word cock too much." <laughs> <laughs> and that was very discouraging for me, so I didn't do that again. <laughs> that is so 
incredible. Oh my god. I told you I wrote Harry Potter fan fiction, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, that just makes you're like endearing yourself to me even more, and I already really liked you, so you didn't have to do any work. <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. Oh my god, I just need to like take a breath because that's so great. I'm like trying to imagine somebody sitting behind their computer being like, "Oh my god, how many times is cock in here? Like 18 times? That's like three times too many." You know what? <laughs> you need help. <laughs> like... I mean, I was literally 13, but commenters did not know that. <laughs> As I was looking you up, I really enjoyed the post-apocalyptic gay sex simulator, which was honestly fucking hilarious. And also, like, I played basically the whole thing out and (laughs) was going through it. I cackled when... Yeah, as because it's like a like a choose your own adventure, right? Like as so, just to explain to the people listening, where there's like scenarios where it's a post apocalyptic world, and the main you're the main character, and he's describing how you know not only is food and water a human necessity, but as a man, like you know, you want to get laid, which. <laughs> Let's be real, as we're moving into the apocalypse, like this is something (laughs) that is on my mind. And so I laughed out loud when they're like going through the scenario and he sees this tent off in the distance and the option is either to investigate or to call out. And the call out is, hello, unarmed traveler here with supplies for trade. And just that in itself, I was like, for fuck's sakes, that's amazing. <laughs> like, like the use of the word trade. For anybody who doesn't know, trade is like other another word for like sex, basically, or somebody you would have sex with. Oh my god, I was like, this is hilarious. And so from there, I did the whole thing through. <laughs> like I was like all the all the scenarios, all the different like options. <laughs> Trading a graphic novel for sex, I was like, this is great. Where did yeah, you that's... come up with that idea? Uh, I'm not sure. I guess I just felt like a lot of post-apocalyptic games were sort of about resource management uh-huh. and like you're you're very low on food or weaponry that sort of thing and i was like hmm, what else would you be low on and sort of thinking about the ways that you interact with other humans in those kind of games as well and they tend to be sort of pessimistic so i wanted something a little bit more about like human bonding i guess and then it went in a more fun direction but that's yeah my only dabbling in sort of explicit stuff as an adult basically that i've put out there Uh, a couple other stories that have not been published you know maybe dip their toes into that area but that would be the only thing that i've made public that is kind of sexy like that I liked it. It was fun. Gio, <laughs> did you leave a comment that was like, you only mentioned the word cock five times <laughs> and there needs to be more? Yeah, I, it was just a prototype. So I dipped out before the really explicit stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I were to make it a full game, I'm still not sure if I would do the full sex scenes or not. I feel like it does need visuals at the very least. So, Well, have we'll you see. heard of that video game where it's like the boyfriend hunter? Or I don't know if it's, I can't remember what it's called, but it's it's the main character goes through all these scenarios and there's like visuals and everything where it is similar to that where it's a choose your own adventure and he goes and like to a bar and like chats up with the daddy and then there's another scenario where he's like at the bookstore and there's like a preppy guy reading about like i don't know an autobiography or whatever and he's like all these scenarios to like get him laid i can't remember what it's called but i think it's like an app like a game you play on your phone oh there are tons of those there are lots and lots and lots for once i've played coming out on top is very good if you actually I haven't heard it. What is it? 
it's a visual novel about a college student who comes out for the first time and then all of a sudden all of these dating options are available to him like he's <laughs> open to it for the first time and so it's a dating simulator where you make choices to woo the guys that you want you know like oh this guy is really attractive so i want to go for him this guy is maybe less attractive so i'll not go for the sexy dialogue options and then there are actual illustrated sex scenes in that game as well. Love it. <laughs> I'm sensing like a collab that's yeah. like burgeoning <laughs> here. Like I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to be like, do this now. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. <laughs> well, it's like, like I was saying, one of my together. barriers for making my post-apocalyptic gay sex simulator a full game is illustrations. I need the hot guys to be real, so. I mean... Giorgi has practice, he told you. <laughs> I may or may not have dabbled. <laughs> so switching gears completely, let's talk about the dreaded writer's blog because I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. Have you ever experienced it? Do you think it's real or is it a myth? And is that tied to imposter syndrome for you? And kind of how do you deal with it? I'm going to throw out like 15 questions at once and just pick one and answer it. I do have a very simple trick for getting over writer's block and it's that writer's block does not exist. Yes. It's not real. It disguises myriad other issues that could be preventing writing. If there's a problem with a story that you're stuck on or your environment isn't conducive to concentrating on writing or if you're suffering from imposter syndrome and you're like this isn't good enough once you stop calling it writer's block and identify what the real problem is then you can solve it and move on Hmm. writer's block is an appealing term because of that sort of mysticism but where does it come from we don't know yeah did the gods of writing frown upon me today oh (laughs) nothing i can do guess i'll go watch netflix (laughs) and it sort of contrasts with the the magical days where your muse is speaking to you and the words are flowing i think it serves as sort of an excuse sometimes to not investigate those issues and it's in a writer's best interest in my opinion to get over that mysticism and just treat writing as a craft and as labor yeah i completely agree like i always thought writer's block was real until i started realizing how much uh me referring to myself as like somebody who's like a pantser or like a gardener whatever you want to call it instead of somebody who outlines her stories was problematic because that let me buy into the fallacy of the writer's block. And I realized once I started actually structuring my stories that that really will push you through the dead zones if you know what's coming next. For me, I always try to know what the ending is at least. I don't like to plan out my whole story, but if I have an ending, I can at least say, okay, what's the next step to get me closer to this? So do you think the writing freelance influenced your view toward writer's block at all like was that coupled with it where you were like i have to write for money so i have no time like to be blocked sort of before i really got committed into like actually doing freelance work basically i was working retail before and then i lost my job because the chain i was working for completely closed down oh my god uh and the point i was like either i can actually look for like another garbage retail job where I can start to, you know, sit down and take this seriously. And so I talked to my boyfriend who has a steady job. I was like, are you okay with me just like staying home, being the house boyfriend and trying to focus on my writing? And at that point, I was like, I have to take it seriously because I've made this deal basically with my boyfriend. And if nothing comes of this, then I'm just a freeloader. So at that point, I was like, I have to take this seriously. I can't just like make excuses for not doing this thing. Mm -hmm. And writer's block 
that point definitely became something I had to discard. I know that feeling very well. That was me when I moved back from Edmonton back to Ontario. And I said to my parents, I was like, please take me in. I'm broke. I have no money. I know this business is not where it's at, but like, give me the space to do this and I will make it happen. And it was like, 24 7 on my mind and now you know four years later thank god like everything has worked <laughs> out and all the hard work has manifested a fully like a thriving business and so i'm good but i know exactly what you mean because you're like i don't want to be freeloading i need to like make this a reality i hope to be where you are in a few years or so because i still have that anxiety where like i'm definitely not necessarily pulling my weight as it were he's the one paying all the bills still i'm making some money now but i would like to be more of like an equal partner financially. And I mm -hmm. think that's an anxiety a lot of artists have because art is not where the money is all the time. But listen, this is the thing with relationships. It's ebbs and flows of who is helping out more. It's 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 not like a, a steady thing, you know? So it, for maybe right now, you're the one that's focusing more on his career and then it'll change in the future. So you have to look at it that way where it's not necessarily like a forever thing. Yeah, absolutely. I would I would like that shift actually he deserves a break from his crappy job so one of the things that really grabbed me was when i sent the questionnaire to you davis and you had kind of mentioned about like edmonton's publishing and like so this kind of is related to the edmonton public library writer position that you did this year so i would love for you to talk a little bit about how you got into that and what it entailed and then maybe kind of talk about writing in edmonton and what that's like so the Edmonton Public Library has something within it called Capital City Press, which is where the library focuses on bringing up and promoting local Edmonton writers, which is an endeavor that I fully support and am really appreciative of. In terms of actually getting to be one of their featured writers, I just applied when I saw the posting. I didn't really think I was going to get it. Somehow I did. And I encourage any writers in Edmonton to apply next year. The deadline is passed for the upcoming period. But you never know. They recognize my value and that I had something new to bring to the table, which in this case was my niche as like writing an interactive fiction, which none of the other authors they've had so far do. And them recognizing that that's something important and different has been the real legitimizing factor for me. Going back to imposter syndrome a little bit, I definitely had that when they accepted me and I looked at who the other featured writers were. And these are three published authors, multiple books under their belt. And I was like, I am alongside these people. I don't quite understand that they make a mistake. There's a sort of funny moment for me when I was doing one of my Zoom events for the library, where I had my itch.io page pulled up to show people something. And that is where I publish my games online. And my financial information on itch.io was visible. And <laughs> It showed everyone the 67 or so dollars that I've made so far <laughs> selling my own games. That's amazing. That's like $67 more than I've made selling my <laughs> writing. So I'm here for that. And I was like, yep, this is the amount of money that I've made so far on the thing that the library is selling to you about me. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of my freelance work, I guess. But It's the promise of what you're doing. Because at this point, especially now where we're looking at this digital landscape for everybody where we're not necessarily as uh, interactive in person anymore. If you're doing interactive narratives that have a place online, that is a seed 
that can be planted in a completely new way in a new industry that we might not even tap into until, and you could be at the forefront of it just based on the fact that they were like, Hey, let's bring you on, you know? And that in itself is something that's very cool to see. I, I, I you know what I mean? Like I, I'm not necessarily, I don't, I'm not a writer. I don't, I don't know a lot about that world, but it's really, I think it's awesome. <laughs> I hope it leads to more opportunities. Like it's definitely uh, looks very legitimate. The public library thought I was cool. So now maybe other people will also think I'm cool and give me cool stuff to do. Yes. Do you think that that's kind of like the future of publishing? Because Edmonton is is its own place. And I learned a lot like last year when I was attending conferences and stuff about how the publishing industry in Canada is is a very strange animal. So do you think that like for writers moving into other platforms, because there's so much writing in a bunch of different jobs that we don't really think of as such? So is that where you see kind of like fiction writers heading is like out of traditional publishing and into things like interactive fiction? Maybe. I definitely think that writers now have to, and artists in general, have to sort of have their own thing going. Mm -hmm. You know, have something that you can link to on Twitter at the very least that's not a traditionally published book, or at least something that you're doing while you're waiting for that to happen because the process is very long and arduous. So I think even if writers are like, I have my short chat book that's like 10 poems available, you can buy it for a dollar on Gumroad, and then they're also working towards their traditionally published work. That is going to be more and more common. Yeah, I totally see that because I think it's just like you said, the publishing industry is so, it's really difficult. It's really difficult and there are so many ways to approach it. And also once you get into it, it's not like, yes, that I've made it. I'm here. I've arrived. It's like, okay, so now you've got maybe an agent and the agent needs to shop your manuscript around and then maybe a publisher picks it up or maybe they don't. And especially in Edmonton, like, I think what people don't realize, and I definitely didn't until last year, is that Canada doesn't really have a book market. Like we pretty much just have like the UK and the US from what I understand. I don't think our books get out of the country very much. You're right. We have a yeah. pretty good amount of like indie publishers putting out really cool stuff in this country, but I don't know that those books are making it outside of the Canadian market. I think the Canadian market is just selling Canadian books to Canadians. What I've seen a lot is that the people from the prairies who are writing they just basically like migrate to Toronto <laughs> to get like a national profile and then hopefully like an international profile on their books. You know what I mean? Because it just doesn't seem possible to leverage it from here somehow. Yeah. And that was something that I decided I didn't want to do. I got through my schooling and I was like, if I'm going to go into publishing, or if I'm going to pursue this in sort of the way that other people have pursued this, then I'm going to have to go to either BC or Ontario. And I don't necessarily want to do that, especially at that point, I'd had my relationship going for a couple of years. My parents were still here. I made friends here. I had to decide to do my own thing. That comes back to what you were saying before, which is that people are afraid to be too much themselves and like commit to the things that they actually enjoy and go, yeah, this is, this is the thing that sets me apart because this is what I want to do. And this is how I want to be in this. And I bring this into my art because they're like, this will somehow make me less sellable in that way. Yeah. Money is the limiting factor. Uh, if people had the financial freedom to make art their focus, then we'd get a lot more cool stuff in Edmonton and in Alberta. Uh, but our province is not ready to give those people that kind of support. 
As somebody who is queer, and I think like, <laughs> I'm gonna use the word thirsty because I think it just fits with this episode. <laughs> thirsty for representation. I know that as a kid reading, I, I read so much and I especially read in the young adult genre. So we don't necessarily have to talk about that genre, but it's just what I think of when I think about how much I read as a kid. And there was so little queer representation in the YA genre. And if there was queer rep, it was like such an outlying thing. It was like shoehorned in like, oh, like that character's different. And like now, not even like a secondary <laughs> character, but like tertiary, you know what I mean? What was it like reading as a queer kid? Like, did you find that there was accessible representation? And how do you think things have changed, like, even in the last, like, 10, 10 years, like, reading? I definitely think you're right that it was difficult to find books that were queer-focused. If there was queer stuff in it, it was maybe hidden or secondary or tertiary. Mm -hmm. The first queer book that I remember reading is The Misfits by James Howe. That author is more famous for the Benicula series. Oh my god, <laughs> I read that. Yeah. I think I actually have a copy of one of those books on my shelf. But he wrote The Misfits, which is uh, about a bunch of kids ganging up together to end bullying in their high, uh, middle school. And there are four main characters who are all being bullied for different reasons, and one of them is gay. And it's a really good book that I reread recently, but it's not queer-focused. The point-of-view character is probably the most normal out of the kids, I would say. So I think authors felt like they had to do things that way, where they were sneaking things in, and he was able to put a gay character in there because it was topical with the other stuff that was going on, I guess. Yeah, I've heard that about, um, if you've ever read any of Rick Riordan's stuff, or uh, Riordan, but he wrote the Percy Jackson uh, yeah. and the Olympians books. And all I've seen about them, because they're like a Tumblr fave, is that the main character is like a straight, white, like heteronormative, cisgendered, able-bodied boy. And then as the series progresses, like it gets farther and farther away from that representation. And he's just like throwing as much diversity as he can into the book. Like there's so much queer rep, there's like disability rep, there's like um, like BIPOC rep, like all of it, right? Cause he's like, yes. And then he did it to Disney somehow. I don't know if he has like a Disney movie deal or something. Well, I think those books were under Disney's house press. Oh, they don't publish very much, yeah. but I think that's the case. And that's still something that creators do. Like She-Ra, the new She-Ra, does not seem that queer on the face of it, but the further in you get, the more and more stuff she's able to put in until by the finale, there's no other logical way for the story to resolve other than these two female characters getting together. And so yes. she planted those seeds and planted along the way. And by the time anyone could have stopped her, it was too late. <laughs> <laughs> it was so masterful. I actually think I read, is it Noelle Stevenson who did yeah. the She-Ra reboot? So I think I read an interview where she said that she deliberately did that. Like she pitched it as a reboot and she was like, this is the kind of main overarching narrative. And then she was like, also they're lesbians and I'm going to write it so that there's no way they can't be Endgame. And I was like, yes, it, w it made me so happy. It's a little frustrating, though, that she still has to do that. Yeah. I think children's, like, specifically that, that show is aimed at, like, 10-year-olds and sort of that age range. And that's sort of the last frontier, I think, where yeah. it's that difficult to get queer content in. 
Now with YA fiction and teen television, we're seeing more explicitly queer-focused stuff. And, you know, gay YA is its whole very profitable subgenre. So that barrier has sort of been passed. And of course, there are other inequalities within that that are still being addressed. But we've come quite a long way. Yeah, absolutely. It's just such a different playing field now. And it's interesting because even the she love story is so explicit in that way like not explicit sexually but like explicitly romantic and when you think about even like uh when legend of korra the avatar the last airbender sequel aired and they wanted korra and asami the two two of the female main characters korra being the protagonist and asami being a secondary character who's female to be romantic endgame that series ended and people were like i like oh what is the subtext the text like were they together like we don't know like and then they had to like tweet the creator to be like can you clarify like were they holding (laughs) hands in a romantic way because they weren't like kissing each other and there was like no other like indicator that they were actually together in a romantic capacity right so it's like crazy how far we still have to go but even seeing those little movements forward right as a writer a lot of my publishing opportunities have been queer-based. I mentioned Vitality Magazine before, my first publishing credit, specifically a queer magazine. Crab Fat Magazine is another one I've been published in, specifically a queer magazine. I have a poem in an anthology for queer male poets. So I've been able to use my queerness as an angle to get work, which is maybe kind of a new thing. I think we're seeing a push for that too with BIPOC authors, like Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Like they're getting more opportunities and these systemic inequalities have always existed, but there seems to be more of a targeted and measured response to be like, let us work against the barriers that are inherent in the system and give people a platform who have traditionally been overlooked or sidelined by the industry. These are all like smaller presses that I've been published in and looking at the mainstream presses that are doing the big bucks, uh, those are still much more hetero. I just want queer writers to be able to write and not also have to work retail at the same time, whatever that looks like. Or depend on the charity of their romantic partners. Like when I first moved to Alberta and I didn't have a job, I did so much laundry and it was just guilt laundry. Like my husband did not want me to do laundry. I just felt bad because I was like living with him and he was working and I was like, look at all these pants I folded. (laughs) I'm contributing. (laughs) Yeah, like seriously, that sucked. Davis, I want to kind of ask you a little bit about what the process for writing something like an interactive game is and how it differs from writing something like flash fiction or an essay or, or a poem or anything like that. Because we don't, we haven't, and this is something I'd kind of like to do in the future on the podcast, talk about craft. Because I know that when I first started writing, I could find things where authors talked about like, yeah, you just have to sit down and you have to write. And I was like, that's very helpful. But like actually talking about the mechanics and the structuring and like how you get in the headspace for writing something like a poem versus an interactive game, I think is something that I'm really interested in. So I'd love to hear you talk about your process for that. In terms of even with just straightforward interactive fiction, you kind of have to be multidisciplinary. It's not just writing. You have to understand the way the different branches work and how the player is going to interact with your game. And I work with Twine a lot, which is a very 
accessible program for interactive fiction writers to get started in. But even with that, there's some tech stuff that you have to do to get things working, depending on how elaborate you want your game to be. So you can't just be a writer necessarily. And if you are just a writer and you're working on a game with someone else who's doing some of that other stuff, then you have to work on it as a collaborative project. And there's lots of stuff that's out of your hands. I mentioned the freelance game that I was working on before. These people came to me with a game already made basically and told me to put a story in there. And I was very <laughs> limited by that fact. Another example during a game jam, which is an event where you try to make a game in a really short period of time, kind mm -hmm. of like NaNoWriMo. One member of our team didn't show up for the weekend. And we weren't sure if she was going to show up over the course of a few days or not. So after the first day, they were like, well, we're probably going to have fewer levels than we expected initially because of the amount of work that's being lost right now. So Davis, you have to shorten the story scope based on what we've discussed. So I cut a lot. And then over the next day, like, oh, she still didn't show up. But maybe she'll show up tomorrow. Can you cut the story again, Davis, to fit? Because we're not going to have that many levels. And I cut it again. By the end of the game jam, this team member never showed up. And my two or 3,000 word draft for the story was like 300 words. Oh, that's so painful. But how do you, so how did you deal with that challenge? Like, I'm trying to think of the way that I would cope with that. And I don't know that I could, could structure a narrative that would survive that kind of word loss. It's like bleeding to death on the floor. It was challenging for sure. I just had to look at the very core of what I was trying to say with the story and what we needed. And pare it down to just absolutely that core. So what's your focus? Like, I, I, sorry, I just think this is really interesting. Feel free to ignore my interrogation if it's too much. But what is the core to you? Like, do you like writing things that are character driven with like emotional, like an emotional arc? Or do you really focus on like plot? I don't know, kind of like that traditional sort of like story narrative with like a really strong like, and then everything's like tied up in a bow at the end. Like, what do you like to read and, and write? Most most of my writing does tend to be very character focused. I like to get in the head of one or a few characters. With game writing in particular, I feel like games should sort of push the narrative a little bit rather than just writing a story that you could see in a novel and putting it in a video game, it should be more suited to the interactive format and do something mm -hmm. with that. Mm -hmm. So I try to push that a little bit with my writing where I can. Yeah, because I think in a game, would you say that most players expect to have sort of like an action driven element as opposed to just like absorbing sort of like the events that are happening? Yeah, or at the very least, there's something that the player is doing. You have to represent that narratively as well. Do you hear that, Gio? Are you taking notes for your class? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having it recorded, so I don't even have to take notes. <laughs> right? It's the perfect format. Yeah. So... Davis, if we're going to end on something, I want to come back to this idea of like this being our unqualified advice podcast, but from qualified creative. So when you were somebody starting out writing, and this can be from whatever angle you deem most interesting or valuable, what is some advice that you wish that you had been given or some, some sort of sign like continue, go this way? I guess I would 
tell myself or a young writer to just start taking it seriously earlier than I did. I don't think I let myself see writing as a real option outside of a hobby for uh, way too long. And I let myself let projects go. I lost focus. I followed the impulses of whatever felt good to write, and which usually resulted in not finishing anything. And I probably could have gotten a lot more done if I sort of believed in myself and developed those habits to match earlier on. Absolutely. That's so real. Like, it's so funny to hear you say, like, I wish I had started taking myself seriously earlier because you had a publication at like 22. (laughs) And like, for me, when I think about being 23 and how far away I was from taking my writing seriously, and I look back at that time and I go, was there a part of me that really believed that somebody was just going to like knock on my door and like, hand me a rolled up piece of paper and I was going to unroll it and it was going to say, you are a writer now. (laughs) Do it. You know what I mean? Like, because I didn't endorse myself for so long and it, I feel the same that it just amounted to such like wasted time. It's never wasted. Regrets a fool's game. You can't really look at it that way where the experiences that you went through led you to the moment in your life where you're like, okay, now I'm going to take it seriously. And all of those collective experiences are what are going to basically like navigate how you write moving forward, if that makes sense. Or it's going to, you know what I mean? It's going to like taint (laughs) in a good way (laughs) what your writing experience is like as a professional writer or not professional, but like as somebody who's taking themselves seriously. Well put. Uh, I remember in high school, I was talking to a teacher about what classes I wanted to take. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to do any math. I don't need math. I'm going to be a writer. And she was like, don't you need all the experiences you can get as a writer? Why not math? (laughs) I did not end up taking math. (laughs) (laughs) But that was such a strong pitch. I give that that teacher kudos for like trying to sell it to you from that angle. (laughs) Think of all the math-based stories you could write, Davis. (laughs) <laughs> I do appreciate like scientists who go on to write poetry and sort of do interesting stuff with that, like those sort of melding of different professions. Mm-hmm. I think whatever your life experiences are, you can bring it to your writing and create something new and interesting that is sort of the value that you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. No one else is going to do exactly the same thing as you. That's right. Never. That's like that whole concept of not being afraid of other people kind of stealing your ideas because like even if somebody let's say takes a concept that you thought was completely original. I mean, the odds of it being completely original are pretty slim anyway, but it's never going to be, the execution will never be the same as your execution. Exactly. So I have a question. Where can people find you online if they want to connect with you? (laughs) They can connect with me at my Twitter, DavisGC. If you want to play any of my games, a lot of them are free and you can find them at itch.io slash DavisGC. I also have my more traditional writing, short stories, poetry, that sort of thing, available to read for free on my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash davisgc. I struggled with my name and how to present it professionally for a long time because my last name C is just a verb and people get caught up on that. I remember talking to a secretary once and she asked for my last name and I said C and she wrote the letter C and looked at me and waited for me to finish. I was like, no, that's that's it. Oh my God. Thank you so much for coming on, Davis. Mm -hmm. I hope this was as good for you as it was for us. Mm. (laughs) I enjoyed myself. (laughs) I'm so glad. I just like, it makes me so happy that I 
was able to meet you because I was introduced to you by Sophie and joining the book club and everything like that. And I just like, it, it just means a lot. I can't overstate how much it means for you to come on and kind of like share your experience and your wisdom and your perspective. Like I, I find that very valuable. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you also, Gio. Listen, when you guys collaborate on your project, I just want to be sitting on the call. Like, I'm not going to do any of the work or help or contribute in any way. I just want to listen to you guys, like, workshop it out. I have a really tough time believing that you would sit on a call and not say anything. <laughs> just as someone who's known you as long as I have, I really, I would, I would place bets on that. I will and like big money. <laughs> I will need you to forcibly mute me, please. <laughs> no, I want to. I want to make some money, so I'm going to bet that oh, you're going to talk. Okay. <laughs> it's not my we money. Were, we were just talking about how artists uh, have a hard time making money. So oh, that's true. Listen, yeah. Aside from OnlyFans, <laughs> yeah. that's what I was going to say. Is porn is where it's at, Geo? So if we're doing this porny game, yes. then we're set. Honestly, I've never ventured into that world. Uh, let's say professionally, um, but <laughs> I would so be down to actually talk about a potential down the road collab. Absolutely, me too. I'm actually really excited because I want this game to happen. I've, that's why I made the prototypes. It's like I wanted to see if it would work, but I need, I need those hot guys in there, so. I'm down to draw some hot guys. <laughs> I'm smiling so hard right now. My face fucking hurts. Like, it's actually painful. <laughs> hey, we're the potential of our art to bring joy to others is <laughs> all we need, right? Right? Yes. See you. It was nice meeting you. Nice meeting you too. Goodbye. Bye. If you and Davis make a porn game, oh my God. I, everyone fuck off. This is the only thing I'm tweeting about for the rest of my life. <laughs> You're like, I, when you were doing the like, you guys work together, it was almost like, now kiss? Yes! It was like, it was like with, um, when she was like, Yes! yes but kiss! It, I didn't mean it sexually. I meant it like creatively. Yeah. It made yeah, no, me I know. so happy. I feel like... I just helped give birth to something maybe, or like inseminate it anyway. Like, this is so great. Oh my God, I'm serious. My face hurts from smiling. That is so great. That would be awesome. Honestly, I'd be so down for that. Oh, I can see it happening. I'm like gonna make it happen. We just need someone to be like a flash animator or like not flash animator, but like someone to like make <laughs> flash it move. flash is dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I wonder if Davis knows people just based on his uh, previous experience. For sure. Or, I mean, I could talk to my client and say hey yeah i have this game idea. see you have all of the things you already need to make this porn fantasy a reality let's go yeah apocalyptic dicks <laughs> i never thought i'd say that out loud on this podcast i hope yeah i hope that there's there's room for that that'd be fun some post-apocalyptic dick how about some pre-apocalyptic or like so we're peri-apocalyptic like we're we're circling that mean during it. does it's that mean like during? around like, we're getting close to <laughs> i'm just thinking about like in the moment as Approaching. the apocalypse is happening what happened to your what's going oh you're like i know it blurred for some reason i'm not sure what, what i was like what? are we is this a film now there's depth <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> i don't think it's ever happened when you and i have recorded but a couple of times it's done that like it gets mad if it's too close or it's too far away mm. 
Oh my God. Uh, that was just really nice. And I feel really happy. And I look forward to having more writer people on this podcast because I think it's really great, especially when we record this because it's just the beginning of November. But by the time we release it, it'll kind of be like mid November, probably. Mm, towards the end. Towards the end. But you would still like. Oh, am I boring you? Sorry, I'm like <laughs> today. This is NaNoWriMo. So Davis mentioned NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month. And I always feel that the last week of NaNoWriMo tends to be a little bit of a slog, especially if you've been writing consistently for the entire mm-hmm. time, every day. And so I think people might draw just a little bit of inspiration from listening to him talk about writing if there are people who are writing during NaNoWriMo this year. I think I'm going to do it. Yeah, I can see you committing to that. It's only hey, 50,000 words. I have How to start... many times can you control V the word cock? <laughs> I mean, I have to start thinking about this narrative, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, do you have any creative power-ups for today? Um, creative power-ups. No, <laughs> I really don't. Pass. <laughs> yeah, I pass. <laughs> I'm good. I, this yeah. interview was so great of Davis to come on and talk to us. And yeah, he's just so, so lovely. Yeah, thanks for listening to me. And to me. And if you have any burning questions or any ideas for a character design for a post-apocalyptic gay sex simulator, please email us at listentomepodcast at gmail.com or you can DM us on social media. We love making this show and we've gotten so much support from you, our listeners, and we'd love to spend some time making Listen to Me even better and bringing even more amazing interviews to your ear holes. So if you're interested in helping us do that, you can now visit our shiny new shiny and new Patreon at (laughs) patreon.com slash listen to, that's the number two, me pod to find out more about how you can support the show. And if you like what you hear, let us know by rating this podcast and subscribing. And you can follow us all over social media. We are at listen to, that's the number two, me pod. And as always, music in this episode is graciously provided by audionautics.com. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Bye.